0: Hey, listeners, this is Danielle and Chelly. Chelly is a radical Dravidian and racial equity activist. And Danielle is a community mobilizer and change maker. And this is the Medford Bites podcast. Every two weeks, we chew on the issues facing Medford and deliver bites of information about the city by lifting the expertise of our guests. Join us in discussion about what you hope for the future of Medford. And as always, tell us where you like to eat. Welcome to the Medford Bytes podcast. We're, we're thrilled to have you again for season three. Some exciting news. The Medford Bytes podcast is now brought to you by myself, Danielle Balaka, and Shelly Keshevin.
1: After participating in the spring of
0: 2022, I jumped at Danielle's invitation to co-host. I'm so happy that you did. This podcast was created during lockdown from lockdown energy, but a little bit like lockdown, it was beginning to feel kind of lonely. So uh, I'm really looking forward to how we can combine our ideas with the knowledge of our guests this season. As am I. Speaking of guests, in today's episode, we talked with City Council Vice President Zach bears about what we can expect on the ballot tomorrow and in November for our local and state elections. Tomorrow is a big day for our local elections. Um and one thing I'm really grateful for that Shelly's brought to the podcast is her knowledge of social media. Shelly, can you remind folks where they can follow us?
2: Absolutely. As always, we are
0: on Instagram at our Medford Bytes pod. And newly, we, you can find us on Facebook at Medford Bytes One Word Podcast. Be sure to hit the follow button for updates and information between
2: episodes. You can also leave us reviews and feedback there.
0: Well, I hope uh, everybody enjoys today's discussion. And don't forget to go vote tomorrow if you haven't already. Go vote. <laughs> All right, thanks so much for joining us today. Uh, first episode of season three, we're getting ready for. So uh, I'm here today with my co-host, Shelly, um, and I'll ask our guest just if you could introduce yourself with your name, pronouns, and just who you are.
1: Sure, hi, um, good to be here. Excited to be here for season three. I'm Zach Bears. Uh he, him, pronouns, and I'm the vice president of the Medford City Council
0: thanks Zach it's been a while since we've talked to you so I'm going to ask you the same question that we asked you before and that we ask every other guest which is just your favorite place to eat in Medford and what you like to eat there
1: I've got to be consistent I'm going to stick with Colleen's um, and I love like a BLT and a raspberry lime Ricky Mm. you know maybe ice cream they got great choices great options and it's summer so I can't not Mm. highlight Colleen's in the summer
0: that sounds great. I'll have to try. I haven't tried the Raspberry well, Lime Ricky since you talked about it, but I'm missing out. <laughs> nice. Um, well, we, you know, we invited you on for a bunch of reasons. Um, but one of them, I think, was to talk about, you know, the the two elections that we have coming up in September and November. Um, and I think this episode should come out the day before that September election. So I'm wondering if you could kind of walk us through what to expect from those two ballots.
1: Yeah, so it's the 2022 elections already. Um, I mean, you know, there's an election every year, so it's not that big a surprise. Uh, But uh, this year, um, it is an even year, and it's not a presidential year. So it's our state elections here in Massachusetts. Um, There's a primary on uh, Tuesday, September 6, um, which is the day after Labor Day. Um, and there's a general election on Tuesday, November eighth. So similar to other elections, you have a, a primary election where you kind of um selecting candidates for different offices. And then a general election, um which will be kind of between the candidates selected for each party. Um, in Massachusetts, it's usually Democrats and Republicans. That's pretty common everywhere. Um, but, you know, something that's interesting about Massachusetts, I think, as a lot of people know, Um, is that uh, Democrats are a very strong majority in terms of being elected. They control the Senate seats and all of the House seats and super majorities in the state legislature. Um, Right now, not the governorship, but that also may change this year. We're electing a new governor, which is a big deal. Um, So the primary elections are really important because that's where you select the Democratic candidate who will be running in the November election. And in many cases, it's actually the September election that is the most competitive and will determine who will end up being the person in office and not the November election. Um, but as is usual, you know, the way that our system works, more people vote in November than September. So, um, you know, really voting, getting out to vote uh, in September, uh, Tuesday, September 6th um, is, is important. Um, and here uh, in our area in Medford, um, there's going to be a lot of a lot of races on the ballot, so you know it can be tough to figure out exactly, um, you know who you're supporting. Definitely important to try to do some research beforehand if possible. Um, by the time this comes out, there will also have been early voting and mail voting, so that's another change in Massachusetts that's similar to two years ago. There's just a lot more ways that you can go out and vote, um, which I think is great, and that'll be true in November as well, where there will be even more uh, opportunities for that. Um, But so for the primary election, again, it's focused on the the parties selecting their nominees, their candidates for the general election in November. And the offices that are on the ballot are our statewide offices. We have governor's race. Um, It's on the Democratic ballot. It's Maura Healy and Sonia Chang-Diaz. Sonia Chang-Diaz has dropped out, but her name is still on the ballot. Um, There's also a Republican primary, uh, Jeff Deal and Chris Doty. Um, For Lieutenant Governor, there is a Democratic primary uh, between a number of candidates, Salem Mayor Kim Driscoll, um, State Representative Tammy Govea, Dr. Tammy Govea, and State Senator Eric Lesser. Um, And so, you know, I'm I'm just going to list them out here. You know, I'm not going to get into who's who because we'd be here forever. Um, But those are the three candidates who are running on the Democratic side. Um, and then there's two candidates running on the Republican side, Leah Cole-Allen and Kate Campanelli. Um, and then there's the uh, kind of quote unquote down ballot statewide races. We have attorney general. So Maura Healy is running for governor. So she's the current attorney general. So we have an open race for attorney general. Um, and we also have an open race for governor which I didn't mention as Charlie Baker's leaving and you didn't hear me list his name as a candidate. Um, so open race for Attorney General, Andrea Campbell, former Boston City Councilor, Quentin Palfrey, who was a, a lawyer in the Obama and Biden administrations and was the party Democratic Party nominee for Lieutenant Governor in 2018, and then um, we have also Shannon liss Reardon. I'm trying to remember everybody who's been a long-time labor lawyer. Uh, you may have seen her advertising so far, um, and, and I think I've gotten a couple of pieces of mail from her. Secretary of State, you have uh, seven-term incumbent Bill Galvin running mm-hmm. against uh, Tanisha Sullivan, who is the longtime president of the Boston NAACP, um, and a well-established lawyer uh, in her own right, who has done a lot of work around voting rights. Also uh, an open race, you have former Assistant Secretary of Transportation, Chris Dempsey, who's facing off against State Senator Diana DiZoglio. Um And so those are all the Democratic primaries. I can't remember all the Republican candidates for the, for the down ballot statewide races, so I apologize for that. Um, but, uh, you know, right now, Democrats hold Secretary of State, Auditor, Attorney General, um, and do not hold governor lieutenant governor, which are currently Republican held. Um, and then in Medford, um, you know, the other piece of this, you have the statewide races, and then every two years, we also elect our state representatives and state senators. Uh, for Medford, I, I don't believe Senator Jalen has a primary. Um, so very likely that, you know, she is running again, very likely, you know, I haven't heard about any write-in campaigns, but very likely that she will be the nominee for state senator for the Democratic party. Um, I don't believe that Representative Barber or Representative Garboli have primary challenges either, but there is, you know, a very, um, I think, exciting and, uh, you know, looks like it's going to be close uh, race in uh, the kind of north and east sides of Medford uh, between Representative Paul Donato and Nicole Moselon. It's a rematch of 2020 um, where that was also a very close race. Um, and I know there's been a ton of campaigning signs, lots of door knocking, uh, mail. Um, so that I, I happen to live in that district. So I will be able to vote in that primary. Not everyone in Medford does. Um, it's only about half the city again on the North and East sides of the city. Um, but you know, so that that's kind of the ballot for September. And, and again, really you know, given, given where Massachusetts is at, um, you know, and where Medford is as well, it's very likely that whoever wins the state representative primary will, will win this election in November and become our state representative for the next two years. Mm. And the same goes for all of the other races that I mentioned. So September is a big one. It's exciting. Um, and, and, you know, a lot to think about, a lot to research, uh, to make sure you know who you think best represents you of the candidates who you have a choice to vote for.
0: Yeah, we were looking into those numbers from that state rep uh, race from two years ago, and it—I didn't realize that um, Nicole Massam had won the Malden part of that election by like a hundred votes. It was very close, so that'll be an exciting one to pay attention to this year. Yeah, I also live in that part of Medford, so <laughs> I'm excited to vote in that. Too. Absolutely. Yeah. Great. So then. Uh, so we're voting mostly on those like like people's positions for that September primary, and then whoever sort of wins on the Democratic and Republican side will Republican side will vote on for those offices in November. But then I also understand there's some different like ballot questions in November
1: as well, right? Yes. So November eighth, and again, I don't want to discount the importance of of voting in any situation, but you know. Most likely, you know, you're going to you're going to end up with the candidates from the primary for Democrats and Republicans. They're going to go head to head against each other right now. Looking at the polling, Dem- it's looking like a Democratic sweep, you know, across the state. Uh, very likely, you know, we'll see if that changes. Um, so the, the really big thing to focus on um, in November, though, is ballot questions. And what these are are essentially uh, we have a process either of gathering signatures or going through the legislature, where we can as voters be allowed to directly vote on laws and changes to the laws. And in this case, even changes to the state constitution. Um, So there are three questions this year. Uh, The first one, question one is a constitutional amendment called the fair share amendment. And that would create, it's also known as the millionaire's tax. It would create a new tax rate for people who make more than a million dollars a year only on the money that they make over a million dollars a year. So it's a new uh, 4% tax. If you make a million and one dollars, you would pay 4 cents more on that extra dollar that you made uh, over a million. It would affect less than 1% of Massachusetts households. And uh, the other piece of that is that uh, the amendment would go directly to fund our public K-12 schools Ah uh, public colleges and university system, as well as our transportation system, which I think uh, anyone these days, uh, you know, even if you don't take public transit every day, um, knows is in uh, uh, big trouble. So mm-hmm. needs this funding to really move forward into the future. Um, this would be the the first time right now Massachusetts has a flat income tax, which means that uh, the less money you make, essentially the more of your income you pay. So, you know, if I make a million dollars and I pay 5%, that's very different than if I make $10,000 and pay 5% Mm -hmm. because I really need that money to survive. Um, Mm -hmm. It's very different than like the federal income tax, which is progressive graduated where, you know, if I make a million dollars, I pay a higher percentage than if I make $50,000. So this would bring a, a piece of that kind of equity and fairness to the tax structure in Massachusetts and it would also go towards funding really essential public goods um, like our education system and our transportation system. Yeah. Um, so that's question one, and it's so, a really important question.
0: Yeah. Before we move on to the other two, if I have a couple of follow-ups, and Shelly, you might as well. But um, I know, like that, there's been some big budget questions in Medford, um, as specifically around like our schools, our school budget, and the uh, and also transportation. Um, So I guess I'm wondering, like, how this might, how we hope this would impact Medford, or how it could impact.
1: Yeah, so I've been working on this for almost eight years. Um, There is, uh, if you remember, in 2018, this was going to be headed to the ballot four years ago in 2018, and basically, the high-end corporations in Boston filed a lawsuit and we're able to get it thrown off the ballot on a technicality. Um, That's why it's now coming back four years later under a a different process. The Mm -hmm. first time we gathered signatures to get it on the ballot. Um, And then the court said that you can't use that process to do this. So we had to go through the legislature for the last two terms to get it on the ballot this time. Um, And something we've been talking about this whole eight year period is there's first, you know, getting it on the ballot. Second is making sure that people vote for it and approve it. And then the third piece is actually how it will be allocated. So, right, it's dedicated to these important buckets, education, public colleges, transportation, but there's still the the process that has to happen of where exactly in those areas is this money going to go and that may even change year to year as budgets change. So there's kind of um you know two things ahead of us. One is just yes voting for the fair share amendment so that we you know can get that on the books of the state constitution. And then the second piece is going to be talking about how do we want this money allocated for our communities? And so that's how it could really impact a place like Medford. You know, for example, if one of our you know big issues is uh, spending on roads and sidewalk maintenance, which I'm sure is if you walk around Medford or bike around Medford or drive around Medford, you know, is a major issue. The state could invest more into the state program for funding cities and towns, basically send state money to cities and towns to fix our roads and sidewalks. Mm-hmm. Uh, another major thing that's been talked about is changing um, how we fund public transportation? You know, right now cities pay an assessment. It's pretty significant. I think ours is almost nine million dollars last year, mm. which is almost five percent of our budget as yeah. a city. Now it doesn't exactly work out that way, but if if you know, because we get more state money than we pay out, right? So it's a little different. But if that, you know, for example, if we said, you know, we're going to use this funding stream to fund the T instead of charging municipalities, that could be a significant mm. boost to our city budget. Um, Funding for public schools, you know, we get a significant amount of state funding for public schools. It's not near, you know, I think over 85% of what we pay for schools is paid for by the city. Mm -hmm. Um, So we're not one of those communities where the state is really funding a huge chunk of our budget. Mm -hmm. But as we know, when we're, when we're in the situations that we're in $500,000 and a million dollars really can go a long way. Mm -hmm. So changes or additions to that funding would be helpful. Um, and then, you know, public colleges and universities is actually where that's where my organizing around this started. Um, it, it would impact the city differently because we don't, um, you know, as a city and a community pay for those services. Like, you know, the city doesn't pay Bunker Hill Community College for any reason. But, you know, there's a huge affordability and student debt crisis um, for people who are trying to access uh, the college education. Public colleges and universities really are the bedrock of that. Um, and, you know, increasing funding for those institutions would help a lot of families and students here in Medford as well. So it's a little bit different. It wouldn't impact us, you know, the budget, but it would certainly impact our community um, by increasing access to, to public colleges.
0: Yeah. And it's, it's striking that sort, of, that, that sort of figure that you gave around how many people would be impacted by the increase in taxes versus how many people would benefit from that increased revenue. Um, and you also mentioned, I'm gonna like get this question in here now, but about like the bus, like MBTA, and we know that there's uh two major bus routes that are being eliminated in Medford, and so I wonder, like, if you could speak to like that impact or like you know how that kind of relates to this question of the fair share amendment.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think um, um public transportation in general really needs more support. Um, during the pandemic, Governor Baker, uh, well, the MBTA and and under Governor Baker, eliminated the uh, express buses in Medford, the 325 and 326 buses, which got you from certain parts of Medford to Haymarket. Um, and I think that to me is an example of kind of the zero sum thinking that we have right now when we are fighting for scarce resources and not talking about making investments. Um, you know, it was basically said, well, we need to eliminate these now because the ridership is low because of the pandemic. And we'll move those resources elsewhere. But now they don't want to move the resources back. Um, this is part of also a, a larger project that's going on. It's called the bus redesign project, um, which is impacting all the bus routes in the MBTA from every single MBTA community. There are really drastic proposed changes. Um, some of them, I think, are are smart and right on. Uh, you know, Medford would see under the current draft proposal. Um, you know, a, a 96 bus that would come every 15 minutes, a 101 bus that would come every 15 minutes and some change routes that really will help a lot of people who use those buses. Mm. But instead of thinking in an additive way, it's been kind of in a, in a zero-sum balancing way where we may be gaining some great things, but there's parts of the community that are really going to lose out with reduced buses, reduced frequency. Um, and, you know, and and as part of this whole project, we're not getting back the express mm-hmm. buses 325 and 326 that were um, eliminated a couple of years ago, um, and also I'll make a plug for the 710 bus through the Fulton Heights was also eliminated and is not mm-hmm. going to be coming back um, under this proposal. Yeah. So I would say uh, like an investment like the Fair Share Amendment, seeing how that money could be appropriated, really could go a long way towards um, not just having a reliable and and you know sustainable public transit system that's not catching on fire and, you know, you're not jumping off of the Mystic River Bridge, Um, you know, but actually thinking about um, expanding and making sure that, you know, when we're redesigning the bus system, it doesn't mean we are adding service in one place and removing service in another place, um, but really trying to expand that public service as as much as we can for for everybody. so that's one way this this could play into it. Um, the T's problems are are huge, uh, and I don't. I would not say the fair share amendment is going to solve all of them. Mm-hmm. Medford's problems are huge. The fair share amendment is not going to solve all of them. Mm-hmm. We all know the issues in education, um, but it is a tool that will help us really make some huge advancements and provide reliable sorts of revenue um, that is much needed. Uh, and, and I think you made a really good point. We're talking about something that benefits everybody in massachusetts even the people who are paying a little bit more who make millions and millions of dollars you know the 0.5 percent and up mm. they want you know to live in there's a reason they're here in massachusetts and one of those reasons is that it's a great place to live and, and good education and um you know transportation used to be really good and mm-hmm. those are things that i think we want to keep and maintain uh, just to have a healthy society, healthy and, and fair communities. Um, so I think there's, the, this to me is a no-brainer. Um, that may not be true for every voter, but I hope that a huge majority will be supportive of this because I think it really will make some big differences in people's lives.
0: Sure, yeah, I'm excited to see how it all pans out for sure. Um, yeah, I want to let you continue the, those two other ballot measures as well.
1: Yeah, there's two more. Um, I don't know a ton about them. Uh, One is about dental insurance. It's question two. Um, It's been proposed by, I think, a dentist who has issues with how insurance companies are reimbursing uh, their expenses. So basically, my understanding of it is it would set a certain floor uh, for um, basically 85% or more of of a bill would have to be for, for your dental care and not for the administrative costs. I don't know the facts and specifics behind it. That's just kind of my quick read. Yeah. Certainly not sure exactly how I'm gonna vote on it without more research, um, but uh, that that's question two. And then question three is part of a longstanding debate in Massachusetts between um, package stores and grocery stores and convenience stores about the sale of alcohol. Um, right now you probably know that like a lot of, if you go to the grocery store, most grocery stores don't sell alcohol. Um, most convenience stores don't sell alcohol and there's kind of very specific, you know, beer, wine and liquor stores. Um, and this I believe is reflective of kind of a compromise approach, which would expand, um, like the number of, say you're like a Cumberland Farms, or 7-Eleven. You can only sell alcohol, I think, in like 12 stores in the whole state right now. Um, I think this would expand that up to 18 mm-hmm. stores. So it would like give a little bit more for the chains to sell alcohol, but without necessarily out competing the smaller, you know, I don't know if they're locally owned or not, but the non-chain stores. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it also allow would allow for um, I think some changes to to how you can check out alcohol. I'm not really sure exactly on the specifics there either. So definitely one to do more research on. Um, but uh, I think the general gist of that one is that if if there's a yes vote, uh, a few more stores around the state would be able to sell alcohol. Um, so that's a, a, you know, kind of those second two are really nitty gritty um, things. And I think one of the reasons that they're on the ballot is and kind of one of the reasons this whole process exists is, Sometimes the legislature just doesn't want to take something up on its own. Mm. Um, for the fair share amendment, they can't. You can only pass a constitutional amendment through a referendum vote, so that has to be voted on. But these kind of reflect a couple of issues, you know, the sale of alcohol in certain convenience stores and the reimbursement rate of dental insurance. You know, those are pretty specific uh, mm. items, and um, for whatever reason, the folks who want the law changed. Um, weren't getting their way in the legislature and decided to ask the voters to make the call
2: Hmm.
0: and medford won't be voting on any kind of tax override this year is that also true
1: there's no no local referendums for medford as far as i'm aware um certainly none initiated by the city council no no tax override um so uh, we still could have A vote on something like that before the next fiscal year would likely be in a special election. Um, So, you know, one of the reasons to do it the way that that we were thinking about it was we already have an election. Let's just do it Mm -hmm. instead of having to schedule a whole other election and pay for that. Um, You know, I won't get into the super details, but Medford has a pretty big structural budget deficit. um, And unless either magical new revenues come in or, you know, some other special circumstances happen um, next year, we're going to be looking at, you know, cuts across the city budget, mm-hmm. you know, cuts to the level of services that the city's providing. And, uh, you know, um, that's not something that I think is sustainable, I think, given the situations that we see across the city. Um, but, you know, it didn't didn't make it through the process time to be considered on the ballot this November. So. Um, we're going to have to have conversations and think about what the city council, the mayor, um, can do to hopefully find an answer that isn't just cutting more from the city budget and the school mm-hmm.
0: budget. Oh, so, yeah, it sounds like it's not going to be something that we'll be able to vote on in either of these elections that potentially in the fiscal year as in a special election. And you've already given us a lot of really valuable information. I <laughs> have tried to understand what a tax override, like prop, what is it, two and a half? does or means Mm -hmm. and in my brain really really doesn't work that way is there like a simple way of explaining it that like might help us understand like how we're currently taxed what this would change about taxes if it were something that we considered
1: i will try my best (laughs) Uh, um proposition two and a half is a very convoluted law because all that it basically is grounded in is that people like the idea of the number two and a half 45 years ago so they picked two and a half um but (laughs) essentially uh, the law says two things. One, it says that no community can have, a, you know, basically no community can tax more than two and a half percent of the total value of all the taxable property in their community. That doesn't apply to Menford. Um, we, you know, we tax much below that. Essentially what it means is your maximum tax rate would be $25 per thousand dollars of value. Right now Medford's is $9. So we're very far away from that maximum of $25 or Mm 2.5%. The other thing it says that's much more impactful and this affects every community is what we think about when we think about two and a half, which is it says that the city's total tax, property tax amount. So the amount that everybody pays, residential, commercial, add it all up, that amount can only go up two and a half percent per year from the previous year. There's kind of an exception, which is that if there's something new, that gets added on as well. So a new building, you know, that's value gets added on above the two and a half percent. But basically, you know, it says that our our tax levy can only go up two and a half percent per year in aggregate. So it doesn't mean that each individual house can only go up two and a half percent per year or each individual property. It's actually about the whole property tax levy that we pay. Um, and an override would mean that we could increase that amount more than two and a half percent per year. So I don't know if that's exactly a simple explanation. I think to kind of put it in context, two and a half percent per year is generally below the amount of inflation and the amount that the costs mm-hmm. of the city are growing every year. Which means that you know if health insurance is going five percent per year for the city, but the city can only raise the revenue two and a half percent maybe a little more than that with new growth, then you're you're spending more next year on health insurance and less on something else. Mm-hmm. So you're crowding out the important investments that we need to make. Um an override would, you know, it's a would be for one year, just for a single year, instead of going up two and a half percent, you would go up five percent, mm-hmm. right? Or or some some amount. Or it's really in the amount of dollars, right? So we were talking about 12 million dollars and three million dollars, things mm-hmm. like that. Uh, $12 million would have been going up about 10% more. So instead of two and a half percent, you'd be going up about 10%. Um, There's a lot of reasons to to have a different number. Um, But essentially, for 40 years or more, we've been crowding out the important investments that we need to make in our city budget because we've been restricted by this two and a half percent cap. Really, the, the only ways, and then maybe this adds a little more context too, right? Um, there's cities like Cambridge and Somerville, they focused a lot on new growth, which means like Kendall Square. So they've built this whole Kendall Square that didn't exist 30 or 40 years ago. So they've been able to have a higher property tax levy and almost all of it's been coming because they've just really grown a lot. Mm. Um, Somerville has been a little less than that, but like Assembly Row and Union Square, they've had a new growth strategy as well. Menford has had a very, very slow rate of new growth. I mean, I know people see a new apartment building or they see the Wegmans and they think, oh, you know, there's, but compare that to Kendall Square, you know, you're talking Mm -hmm. about a few million dollars versus hundreds of millions and billions of dollars. Um, Mm -hmm. So, you know, and then, so that's one route to to fund your budget under this, you know, arbitrary cap. And the other route is an override. So if you go to a place like Weston, they've done 80 overrides in the last 40 years. Now Weston's a very rich community, but they basically, you know, essentially what this has done, Medford has not only done zero overrides in 40 years, we've never even had one on the ballot in the last 40 years. So you can kind of see that the way that this law was set up and this law was, you know, came up in the late 1970s, early 1980s, uh, the Reagan era, very much an anti-tax movement no one expected it to pass Mm -hmm. in the ballot when it passed so it kind of came as a huge shock to everybody that this was even happening. Um, In the 80s and 90s you saw huge cuts to municipal budgets that's something I've been looking at recently is trying to analyze the impact of it on Medford's budget so I've been in the library history room like copying print budgets into excel and (laughs) trying to figure out um, that those figures but Really, um, you know, unless you're a rich town that does overrides all the time, or you're in a a city where you've had a lot of new growth, um, it's really just stagnated the resources that cities, governments have for public schools, DPW, um, you know, all of the social services, health departments, um, housing support, affordable housing. I mean, you could go down the list of all the things that we need but aren't able to do right now because of our limited resources. And you can really trace a lot of that back to to proposition two and a half. Um, One anecdote I'll give, and then I'll, you know, I know you asked for a simple explanation and I gave a long (laughs) contextualized one, Um, but uh, an anecdote that I've heard is that in the 70s, we had almost 150 people working at the Department of Public Works, and we only have about 50 people there today. Um, So that is an example of kind of, you know, now, maybe machines are better that has may have had an impact, but I don't think you can say that there was no funding impact that led mm-hmm. to that kind of drastic result. And I certainly don't think you can say that not having more people there, you know, if we had more people there, we'd have more sidewalk crews, we'd have more road repair, we'd have more, more support for that kind of basic infrastructure work mm-hmm. as well. Um, so. Again, it's not simple and and one of the reasons this is such a difficult conversation is that the law is really complicated and the law was designed to be complicated because it's designed by people who never wanted taxes to go up and didn't believe that government services were important. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of the environment that we're existing under. Um, and I think that I think I will say in a positive sense that I think Medford is just seeing the conversation around it and also people living and experiencing. The lack of services that we have, I think people are really ready uh, to to have a conversation about uh, raising the revenue we need to invest in improving the city.
0: Yeah, so it sounds like two and a half comes up kind of like twice. Like you can't have a tax rate that's higher than two and a half, and you can't raise revenue by more than two and a half percent. Is that right?
1: Right. Okay. C- correct. That, that's actually and, really. And helpful. so those yeah i mean but the funny part of that is that those two concepts aren't really linked yeah and the idea that they'd both be two and a half is just because the people who wrote it were like two and a half we'll cap it at two and a half and you can't grow by more than two and a half not based on any sort of economic concept other than we don't like taxes
0: uh, so it's hard to understand because it doesn't make a lot of sense <laughs> great yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, that's that's really helpful and and it also like that in relationship to how you explained like growth in other cities and how that that's able to sort of offset maybe the impact on like individual families is helpful to understand as well um so thank you for that and for the extra time spent in explaining that to us i appreciate
1: totally um, yeah ha- happy to talk about it i think if more people knew about it uh we'd be in a better place so
0: oh, very cool. <laughs> thank you and this was a lot of really helpful information um i want to see Chelly if you have any thoughts you know we're having a little bit of a technical issue on your end, but um, if there's anything you want to add or ask, exactly while we have him, love we'll to hear it. Yeah, I mean, I should have been taking notes. I learned so much. Thank you so much. um I think maybe in closing, what might you say to get folks out on the sixth? When I hear a number like a hundred votes, meaning change in my mind, that means grow no
2: vote now. Um, so my thought would be, how do we get people out? What would your guidance?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know. Um, in the first place, I, I I would just say that the primary is really such an important election in Massachusetts. I know everyone thinks, oh, I have to go vote again, or I'm going to have another chance in November. You don't have another chance. You know, this is the time that you're picking the people that you're going to have options for in November. So, and again, you know, in most of the races, the September vote is going to decide the race, not the November vote. Mm-hmm. So it's really important to get out in September to vote in the primary, to pick the candidate that you think best represents you, um, that should best represent the Democratic Party or Republican Party, um, you know, cause that's that's in Massachusetts again, it's it's for better or worse, one party state, it's the Democratic Party um, and this is the Democratic primary. So that's where that decision is going to be made. I think that's the, the most important thing I can say. Um, it You know, you you don't have that opportunity in November, you know, the people voting in September are making the choices for the people who vote in November. So if you want to be part of making that decision and not just be handed, you know, other people's choices in November, uh, it's important to get out and vote in September.
0: And it, and I think there's like those two, like so there's two really interesting races to me that like Secretary of State, who's that, you, say, you said it's like his seventh or so term. Also, um, the state rep in our area, like, has been in several terms. And when we talk about, like, Democrats and Republicans, I think there is, like, a real range within those two parties, right? And, like, thinking about people that were elected 20-plus years ago versus some of the newer candidates, it sounds like September really is the opportunity to use your vote in, in some way to impact those two races. Um, and I think also looking at the diversity of people running for some of those, like, more open races I think that's a real chance to like use your vote in that in that way to like as you're saying help us decide for November.
1: Yes I'd absolutely say that the secretary of state race the state representative race uh for for north and east Medford and and west Malden um which is Paul Adnotto and Nicole Muslim. um and then I would also highlight uh it's a little less exciting and it's less exciting of an office, but I would also highlight the state auditors race. That one right now is the tightest race of all of them. Um, It's basically 50-50 right now between Chris Dempsey and Diana DeZaglio. So that's, uh, you know, of all of the races, that may be the one where, you know, like in 2019, when Julia Mejia won the Boston City Council at large seat by one vote, Mm. Um, you know, maybe that's the one vote race or maybe the state rep race is the one vote race where your vote really could be the deciding factor. Um, I mean, every vote matters in every race, but, you know, in those exciting, close competitive races really are, um, are, uh, somewhere where your vote matters even a little bit more than every other race.
0: Thanks for the question, Chilean. Um, yeah. So yeah. Anything else that you, either of you want to make sure we mentioned before we wrap up? I think we'll
1: no, just uh, vote. Yeah. <laughs> vote, vote, vote. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. And I always like think about that idea of making a plan to vote. Like, if you're gonna vote by mail, if you're gonna go in person, when you're gonna do it, when the, like, you know, reminding yourself where your polling place is. I've gotten some stuff in the mail to make like, you know, make sure that you're registered to vote. Um, I know last year some of the polling places changed a little bit, so like making sure you know how you're gonna do that I think is always a good idea. And it's like a Tuesday after a holiday weekend kids are going back to school, all that stuff. So, you know, I think the more, I, I can never take for granted, like the, <laughs> the importance of a plan. So, um, yeah.
1: Great. Yeah, cool. and, and I'll just, I'll say one one more thing. I do think that having the day after Labor Day being election day is a disservice um, to voters. I think it should be a little bit later if you're gonna do that and give people a little more time. Mm. Um, that being said, um, you know, we're not gonna have it for this episode, but there will be a lot of early voting and mail voting for that. And then for November, there will be uh, mail voting, and I think at least 10 days of early voting, um, at, which in meant will be at City Hall. Um, and the registration deadline uh, has been shortened a little bit as well. So I think you can register up to 10 days in advance of the election to be eligible. I think it used to be 20. Um, So that's another change that happened recently. We were shooting for zero. We really want to go to same-day registration, uh, but there was some improvement there as well. So there's a lot of ways to get out in November and September. Um, And I'll just say the only thing, you know, I haven't given my opinion on anything, I think, except the fair share amendment. So I'll Mm -hmm. give it again. Yes on one. Yes on one for the fair Mm -hmm. share amendment.
0: And that's something the city council has like voted to support as well as the school committee in Medford, right? Yeah.
1: Yes, city council and school committee have voted to support the fair share amendment, uh, along with uh, I think over a hundred other city councils and school committees across the state. Um, And the state legislature uh, voted, um, I think over 75% in the house and the Senate as well in support of it to get it on the ballot. So um, really some universal uh, agreement that this is something that we need.
2: Well, thanks close Stephanie. to
1: universal as you get. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah.
0: right. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for spending time with us today. Hopefully we'll um, have some exciting results from the election.
1: Thank you, Zach. Yeah. Thank you, Danielle. Thank you, Shelley. Uh, so great to be back um, and really looking forward to everything that you all do in this season of the podcast.
0: Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. The Medford Bites podcast is produced and moderated by Danielle Balaka and Chelly Cashman. Music is made by Hendrik Yerenice. We'd love to hear what you think about the podcast. You can reach out to us by email at medfordpod at gmail.com or you can rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Thanks so much for listening.
2: What's the name of the podcast? Never Bites. Never Bites. <laughs> Good dog.